morning, Lolita. How are you doing? Good. Yeah. It's been very nice. I know, this is to exciting. Come, to come to the Horniman with you. I know. When did you last come here? I think a year or a year and a half, something like that. Uh, I came with my nephew a yeah. f- few weeks ago. Huh? But before that, I hadn't been here for years because my children are older than yours. But you used to come. I used to come all the time. Yeah, me too. Because it's such an amazing place. What always amazed me yeah. about living here, because I've lived in southeast London for over 20 years, mm. is that this is here. It's such a hidden gem, right? It is, yeah. S- especially that near the South Circular... Yeah. And you're inside the huge garden. Yes. The, you don't think about them. No, because it's, it's really nice. Yeah. yeah. I heard, actually, that during the pandemic, obviously the museum was closed, but they kept the gardens open because mm. so that people who didn't have gardens could come here and it was really Enjoy used. this garden. Yeah. yeah. It's such a public facility. It's beautiful. It's interesting looking at this front entrance because it's quite obscured by all the green on either side. Yeah. And yeah. then there's this sort of... Well, it's obviously a huge building, but it's quite hidden by all the green. Exactly. I think it's full of surprise. Yes. Let's go discover. Shall we go discover? Let's go. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Hi, I'm the actor and writer Lolita Chakrabarti, and I'm with my friend, the artist Sara Sharma, here at the Horniman Museum and Gardens in London. And And this is Meet Me at the Museum. You know, we're lucky. Today it's Wednesday and the museum is closed. Ah, it's very nice to quiet. visit the museum alone. We have it to ourselves. Uh, it's our own now. Here we are nice. in the reception. Got the hours I've spent here There's the, with the kids. The cafe on the left that yeah. give loads and loads of fabulous snacks for kids and then cake for the yeah. adults. And the shop on the right. Oh, the shop. Have you spent a fortune yeah, in the shop? Exactly. <laughs> my, my children love to buy anything from the yeah, shop. Yeah, I agree. Especially the animals and the small uh, toys. Yeah, absolutely. All it's the little beautiful. bits and pieces. And did you ever go into the hands-on room just over there? Well, you go in yeah. with the kids, but they can handle some of the, you know, exhibits. Insects. Exactly. Scorpions. Yes. Or, or bones. Skulls and things like that, I think they did once. Right. Morning. Welcome Hi, to the Horniman. Morning. Thank you. You've got a lovely day for your visit. We're we lucky. have. Thank you. And we've got our national art passes yeah. with Okay, us. that's great. Well, mm. the vast majority of the Horniman, all the galleries are free to everybody, as are the gardens. But if you've got your national art pass, you will get free admission to visiting exhibitions and also our aquarium. Brilliant. Thank you. So I came here, I moved here to London five years ago, mm-hmm. and I came from Syria, and uh, with my family, with my two children. There were five and four back then, and we started as, to look for a museum around us, because I want to entertain them, so we found the Horniman, and uh, we started to go there almost every weekend, and it's a big part of their life now. They knew the Horniman for five years. So it's half of their life, especially because it's full of things to discover, mm-hmm. things to touch, like animals, insects, all these things. They love it, snakes, everything. So uh, it's, it also um, contributes in educating my, my children, in a way, this museum. And it's, uh, it's like our big garden. <laughs> <laughs> so we feel that uh, this museum belonged to us in a way. 
That's really nice. Mm. I can see the influence on the kids, actually, because yeah. when you... Uh, last went to Syria I had to come and feed your pets now for me pets are sort <laughs> of fluffy I know but me pets are fluffy affectionate <laughs> things but it did take me a, a, a moment because I had to feed your uh, are they African snails they're giant snails yeah and slugs and uh, tortoise and the crabs the crabs I'm so sorry the crabs didn't make it but <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put you in this, well, I in this the, situation. Well, I can see the direct connection to the insects and the, the bones and the animals here exactly. with the kids. I've been in South East London for 23 years. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have kids when I moved here. Mm. So my kids are now 20 and 17. Yeah, as soon as I discovered this place we, with the children, we were here all the time. Partly because it's an amazing place to be when it rains. It gives them somewhere <laughs> to run. And then you discover all these kind of fascinating things but things that you don't with children it's funny in a museum isn't it because now I really want to read stuff and, yeah. and the kids when they were little just couldn't be bothered with reading anything yeah. they just wanted to look and touch and 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 this fulfills both of those things mm. so that you can read what bird that was or what fox or animal that is but they can just look at its eyes and it looks back at them Shall we go down to the Natural History Gallery? Yeah, let's go. I think, is it from the left? I think it's down this slope and to the left, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. This room is always surprising, isn't it? Because it's huge. It's huge, yeah. It's very nice. And high, high ceiling. Look at the ceiling. Yeah. Curved ceiling. Oh, listen to that echo. Yeah. I want to sing for me, Lolita. (laughs) That's pretty good, right? When could I ever do that? Unless it was empty. <laughs> I remember my kids, when they were at primary school, they yeah. used to do sleepovers in here. Wow. Yeah, the class That's would come. Really nice. I know, with all these skeletons and creatures. Mm, lovely. Wow. Let's go straight to the centre. The, the centre. Wow. You, you can't miss him, can you? <gasps> oh, my God. Do you think it's, it's real? I don't know if it's real, although I was told that this is possibly not a fully grown walrus. Really? It's enormous. Isn't it? Wow. I mean, it, it's like how many? The it's size like of three, three, three meters long, something like that. How many people would that be? Eight people? <laughs> <laughs> and those tusks. So do you think it's real? I don't know. Shall we touch it? It says don't touch. But nobody's here. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're an artist. You can touch I it. I can. <laughs> hmm? Is it real? It's real? Oh, my goodness. Somebody just came up to me and yeah. said that this walrus is real. Really? I thought it was a wow. constructed model. Let's read the thing. History of the walrus. It's been on display at the Horniman Museum for more than a century. It most likely came from the Hudson Bay area of eastern Canada and was first seen in London in the Canada section of the Colonial and Indian Exhibition in South Kensington in 1886. Very special piece in a museum to see. Yeah. You don't realise how big they are and how huge and how fat. (laughs) (laughs) Don't body shame the walrus. That's what my daughter would say. You can't body shame the walrus. (laughs) It's great to come here with you today. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very unlikely, our kids are very different ages, 
And uh, we hang out a lot, don't we? But it's really nice to do the museum with you. Yeah, first time. First time. Because mm. we literally live next door to each other. We have the same uh, wall. We have the same wall, <laughs> exactly. So you can hear... I bet you can hear me shouting on the keys. <laughs> no, but I can hear piano. I can hear piano. So you can hear me shouting then. <laughs> don't be polite, Lolita. <laughs> Especially uh, in the morning before school. Oh, I dread to think what you can hear from our side. <laughs> Nothing. Very oh, good, polite. oh, good, oh, good, oh, good. <laughs> I remember when you uh, first moved in. And, uh, you know, there's interest, isn't, isn't there? Who's moving in? Who's coming? And, yeah. and we looked through, because we're nosy, we looked through the front window and there was these, I don't know, how, how big are your paintings? They're enormous. They're wall-sized paintings, yeah. aren't they? They are estimating six foot, eight foot. I can understand meters. They're two meters, two meters and a half. Two meters and a half, right. So one half of your house, which is our TV room, is your studio. And we we looked in to see, oh, the neighbours have moved in. You know, what what are they like? And saw these paintings that were, ah, extraordinary. Thank you. Yeah, we were, yeah, really blown away. And then you were extremely friendly. Yeah, when we moved, we want to discover our neighbourhood. We want to know everybody we want to feel that we belong to this uh, yes. a city by knowing everybody. I really wanted to come in here. Yeah. Because they have a fantastic collection of skeletons and bones. Ah, I love skeletons and bones. I know, you were saying. I love skulls. They are very inspiring. They represent the life itself. They represent life itself because you are seeing yourself from inside. Every skeleton, every skull is a different portrait. I try to imagine the expression of the face without flesh and without uh, muscles. It's very inspiring. Your painting, what I have seen, is mainly portraits, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So do you, when you look at a subject, are you seeing the the skull first? Yeah, of course. Are you? Yeah. I try to imagine how big is each bone in their skull. So, like, seeing inside the person. Uh, Let's look at these skulls. I think they are homo sapiens. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try the word. Neanderthalensis. Neanderthal. Neanderthalensis. You said it better. So, you know, you can tell the difference between, uh, um, of course, male skull and female skull. My very obvious uh, thing. You see this bone here on top of the eyes? Yeah. So to the brow. In male skull, it's more like... um, Prominent. Prominent, while in female skull, it's more like this, flat, flatter. Mm. So you see this... uh, The bridge of the nose to the brow. Exactly. You see it deeper in in a male skull. So I've got two reasons that I'm interested in bones, and neither of them are to do with me. (laughs) <laughs> One is my dad was an orthopaedic surgeon. Oh. And so he had this book at home, Grey's Anatomy, which is the sort of encyclopedia for all surgeons. Yeah, He'd bring uh, medical instruments home because he mm. was doing a hip operation the next mm. day. Uh, and he'd bring the, the, the stainless steel instruments that he would put into someone's hip the next day home. Yeah. And then in order to just remind himself of what he was doing, while I was watching TV, I was like 10, 11... I'd be watching TV on the floor and he'd sit next to me with his Grey's Anatomy and he would just mark on my leg where he was going to make the incision. Really? Yeah. But why? Just to kind of just remind to himself. Just to practice or to remind he, himself? Yeah, just to just remind himself. I mean, oh. he did 
loads of them. But yeah. it was just to, I don't know, sharpen the mind that tomorrow oh. I'm doing this and you get one chance, I suppose. Yeah. So that's my... And then my eldest daughter came here and uh, was almost going to be a paleontologist, so dinosaurs, because mm. she loved fossils and those prehistoric bones. Yeah. So I feel connected to bones. Mm. So, uh, because I love skulls, so my friends uh, gave it to me as a, a present. birthday <laughs> present. It was the best present ever. Did your friend wrap so it? So I had three, three of them. Did they, did they wrap, the, wrap the skull, or was it... I don't remember. On a plate? I don't <laughs> I don't remember. This is what makes us different, you see, artists, that you're thrilled at getting a skull for your birthday. My art is mainly uh, portraits, but figurative. And I work mainly with oil. And uh, you can see contrast in my work. You see uh, some hyper-realistic part of my work, and at the same time, on the same surface of the canvas... I work in an abstract way. So I, I play with this contrast between abstraction and super uh, realism in a way. So I think that's how I can describe myself. It's uh, very uh, inspiring to work on a big canvases. It has a bigger impact on me, on myself, and uh, it's satisfying. So that's why I work in a big canvases. Shall we go in here? Shall we? Wow. Nice. This is really nice. So we're on a balcony. Balcony, yeah. Of the World Gallery. The World Gallery is underneath us. Aha. And that noise, it sounds like rain, doesn't it? What is it? Do you think it's air conditioned? They said it was to preserve all the artefacts. Look at these flags. Oh, they're beautiful, aren't they? I love the colours. Yeah. The World Gallery is interesting down there. Isn't it? They have everything, everything you can imagine. Oh, different sections. They've All got Asian encounters, yeah. European encounters, Oceana encounters. And oh. at the end of the gallery here, yeah. what's this? This is uh, a Horniman's vision mm. about Frederick Horniman, who I guess started this museum. Yeah, I think it's his collection. Interesting. Mm. So we get to find out how this came to be and where the money came from. <laughs> and uh, at least he spent it in, uh, in a good way. It's true. But a lot of those people, they yeah. made their money in, um, I wouldn't even say questionable. They made their money off the backs of colonial of course. Of empire. Maybe Nick we can tell us a little bit about it. Hi, Lolita. Hi, Sara. Nice Hi. to see you both again. It's good oh. to see you again. Thanks for having us in your museum. It's a pleasure. So Nick Merriman, for everyone listening, is um, the chief executive, is that right, of That's the Horniman right. Museum. Yeah. Uh, and this bit of Horniman's vision, I'm really fascinated to know, who was he? Yeah, um, we redid this gallery in 2018 and for the first time put in something about the history of the Horniman family who gave their name to this museum, because we felt many people didn't really know who they were. Um, They were a family of tea traders, Mm. which is really interesting. Uh, The Horniman Tea Company was founded by Frederick Horniman's father, John, in the 1820s. And they were, their family were also Quakers, which, um, for those who don't know, is a sort of religious... Uh, they're, they're called the Society of Friends. Uh, they're an international and non-hierarchical religious organisation who don't really believe in formal worship. They have friends' meeting houses. 
but they were in the 19th century actively opposed to slavery and John was a member of the anti-slavery society they were key the, the Howard they? League for penal reform so kind of philanthropists interesting though if they were in tea uh, I mean w- were they the middlemen who bought the tea from the people who were working in, in, in India China where, where was the yeah this was the question uh, that came to prominence particularly last year when with yeah. the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. we'd kind of celebrated the Horniman family um, as philanthropists but they seemed to be slightly blind or unaware to the fact that the origin of their money in the tea trade didn't actually come from plantations in India, which is what we originally thought, but they were middlemen, so they were tea merchants in London. So they mm. didn't have plantations, they didn't travel particularly widely, mm. uh, except Frederick did a bit later for collecting, um, and their tea was from China. Mm. And we, we see it sort of acknowledged in this panel here, entitled uh, Tea and Empire, and we put this in last year, and what it does is that, as you can see if you read it, it says the Horniman family made huge profits from the tea trade. We go on to say that there's a lesser-known history of this trade is that the British Empire paid for its tea habit by the sale of the drug opium in China, uh, which led to the Opium Wars. Yeah. And it was very controversial at the time, the opium, going to war against China so that we, in the form of the British East India Company, could continue to illegally sell opium to the Chinese. Mm. Mm. And we thought it was very important that we acknowledge that rather darker side to the Horniman wealth. Obviously, because I look at history through my own experiences, uh, so I look for people like me and the people around me in the history I look mm. at, which is British history. And so the opium wars are quite significant to me they're probably lesser known because we weren't looking at it before. And as you said, with the BLM movement and the push to look at everybody's version of the same story, it's great to see that you're acknowledging that here. When I started writing, which is a long time ago, I began with a historical project uh, which ended up being called Red Velvet, this play that I wrote. And it's about Ira Aldridge, who's the first black American actor to play Othello at Theatre Royal Covent Garden in 1833. I've watched historical drama and there's never been a reflection up until a few years ago of people who look like me in those historical dramas. As an actress, I've only had my first historical part in television very recently and I've been working over 30 years Mm. so it's been uh, late in my lifetime Mm. but when I found out about Ira Aldridge never heard of him and he's not recorded anywhere Mm. I've got to find out about this guy he played Othello at Covent Garden Mm. let me find out about him and as I did uh, I found out about a hugely mixed culture of people in London who weren't represented in the stories that I have watched It fascinates me that the stories that we tell inform lives, don't they? I I didn't know that I was around in another form in the 1820s. So what I love about history is that if we look at the truth of it, it gives you a much more complex idea of how we came to where we are now and that actually if you take what's going on now in 100 years' time... If they delve deep enough, they'll see that we were pretty complicated too. Nick, I'm wondering, 
which your favorite spot in this museum as a person who come every day to this yeah. museum let me take you to the to it now yeah please do here we are nice beautiful <laughs> garden lolita so it, the I, view's amazing, isn't it? One of the things that's, um, I think, unique about the Horniman is yeah. that it's not just a museum, it's a museum and gardens. Exactly. And uh, we've got 16 acres, and we've got a fantastic view of I central London, which is really one of the best beautiful. views in London, in my opinion. I can see the shard uh, very clearly. I can see uh, almost uh, London Eye. Quite futuristic, wow, isn't it, from these beautiful, beautiful gardens to look at those high-rise buildings. It's very nice. That's St Paul's. Yeah, we've, yeah. We've, what I often say to people is that 30 years ago, all you'd have seen on the skyline there is St Paul's. And now it's this <laughs> tiny little dot really? with all of these huge... 30 years ago? Yeah, all these skyscrapers have come up in the last 30 oh, years or so. Really? Yeah. God, there's so much to do here. It's yeah. unbelievable, all the different spaces. So... What else? Tell us what else. Well, we've got live animals here, uh, ah. just over over there, uh, beyond our Dutch barn. Normally, this isn't allowed. Uh, we've made some special arrangements for you to feed our hungry alpacas. Oh. So if you'd like to make your way over there, I'm <laughs> wow. sure you will enjoy that experience. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much. Is it smelly experience or not smelly? Depends on your sense of smell. Mine's terrible. <laughs> oh. Ah, here we go. This is where the animals are. Wow. This is lovely, isn't it? There's lots of pens on yeah. either side. So this is chickens on this side. This is lovely, this isn't it? This is the alpaca. There's the alpacas. They're opposite wow. the but goats. You, you know that we are not supposed to feed them. Yeah, normally they say, because yeah. it says even garden plants can cause exactly. them harm. But since we are our guest now, ah. so we have this uh, <laughs> privilege. It's the privilege of coming them. in as guests, yeah. <laughs> Oh, they're sweet, aren't they? Hello. (laughs) One white and one brown. Look at his face. (laughs) Look at the mouth. That's very sweet, isn't it? So sweet. Can we feed them a carrot? We've got Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Hello. You're holding a box of carrots. Those (laughs) those aren't for you, I take it. Those are for the alpacas. This is for Poppy and Eva. Poppy Poppy and Eva. Eva. Which one is Eva? The white one? one. Hey, Poppy. Have a carrot. Look at Eva's eyes, uh, Lolita. (laughs) All black, there's no white. Here we go, sweetie. Have a carrot. (laughs) Listen to the... Let me get a carrot. You're going to eat the mic. Oh, my God, listen, 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 Lolita. Listen to the sound. (laughs) Wow, another one. Yalla, go. (laughs) More interested in the mic than the carrot. Don't don't eat my mic. (laughs) Thank you for having us, ladies. Very nice to meet you both. Lolita is trying to kiss you. (laughs) (laughs) So, Lolita, the music gallery, have you been? I have, but a really long time ago. It's one of the best places in this museum. Ah, come on then. Let's Let's go. go. Yeah. Oh, wow. They have a huge collection of instruments from all over the world. I'd forgotten all these huge... What would you call them? Enclosures yeah, yeah, filled with big. hundreds of different instruments. And yeah. are they in different countries, different historical I periods? Think so, yeah. And also, I've heard that a big part of the collection is in, the, in their storage. We are only seeing a small ah. part of it. Oh, I remember here, Lolita, there are sound tables. Ah. Do you remember them? 
So I'm intrigued immediately mm. by 721, yeah. which looks like a jug. It is a jug. It's a jug. <laughs> so amongst all these seven bath instruments. 721. 721. What is the jug? 721. Dustin Family Quintet Commemorative Jug. There we oh. go. <laughs> but it belonged to a quintet. <laughs> wow, I wish I could hear the sound of it. Should we go check out the I sound think table? So. Let's go to the sound table. You know why I love this um, gallery? Why? Because I'm, I love music and I used to play guitar and harmonica. Really? Yeah, I hope we can find an old guitar in this uh, collection. So we come to the table. Wow, so look at this table. It's different. It's diff- it looks like a surfboard. Exactly. But with speakers in it. Yeah, how big. And look at the buttons. Should we sit? There's benches. Let's, Let's sit try. at the surfboard. And there's a sort of light projection in the middle of it. Do you think it's a touch, the touch things? I don't Let's know. Try. It's showing all the different instruments. And then there's a back and forth button and it says, and a middle one that says listen. Let's press on listen, see what we have. Oh, look. And it says ducked flutes, mm. played as a pair by one musician. And there's an explanation that comes up. Nice. Made in Rajasthan, that's for me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is. Oriental, in a way. Nine. Circular breathing, it says, to play the flutes continuously. Circular breathing, so you're sort of That's breathing so in and breathing, breathing out at the breathing same out. time. Nice. That's Shall lovely. we try something else? Yeah, you press. There we go. Gibson Le Paul Standard Electric Guitar. Oh, not Le Paul, Les Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Clapton played... Played this kind of guitar in 1960s. I love rock music and blues music from the 60s and 70s. So for me, it's very homey to listen to this. Because you're a huge Bob Dylan fan, right? Yeah, You've painted but, but, Bob Dylan many times, <laughs> 50 times maybe. But also, I'm a fan of uh, all these people uh, in this era. Are you? Yeah, and my father used to be uh, a fan of music, of rock music, a lot. Oh. So for me, this is very. Um, Homey things remind me immediately to Damascus, bring me back immediately to Damascus, <laughs> even if it's not from Damascus. <laughs> and did you play electric guitar or acoustic? Acoustic mainly, yeah. Uh-huh. But I love the sound of it. I love music for the purity of it, that no matter what song you're listening to, it takes you into a feeling and mm. an emotional a really pure emotional state. Yeah. So obviously, as a teenager, I loved music, and you know, there's songs of the '80s that, uh, <laughs> that I know really well. But I can they they capture memory, don't they? So I I hear a song from when I was growing up, and I I'm there. And so in my latest play that was on at the Almeida Hymn, I used music, and it was particularly from the 80s, mm. um, and some of it was other stuff that I just really like. But I used that music because it captured a feeling of, I don't know, joy, regret, um, happiness, sadness, you know, yeah. whatever it is. But, but through a song, you can say so much that you can't really say through words. Exactly. And you can go back in time and you can... Yeah, you can be young again, can't you? You can imagine, oh, I'm 16. Yeah. And you feel it. Mm. And it's the power of that song that makes you feel that thing. Mm. Music is my main inspiration in my work. I always work while listening to music. Music inspires me, moves me, makes me um, get high in a way. Mm. And this state of mind is the perfect state for creation. 
for me because mm-hmm. I love to, to dive into my subconscious mind to find the source of uh, creation, let's mm-hmm. say. That's how I love to work. So not like you because you, wor- you work with words. Mm-hmm. So everything for you, it has to be rational in a way. While I work opposite, the opposite way, everything has to be unrational. So music is uh, everything almost for me. Oh, the music's just gone off. Why do you think? I think that means that the curator Mimi's here because she's going to tell us a bit more about mm, the instrument. That would be interesting. Shall we go meet her? Let's try to find her. Yeah. Uh, she's down at the harpsichord, I think. Really? Ah, oh, here we are. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi, Hello. Mimi. Nice to see you. Welcome. Um, so I'm Mimi Waitsman, and I'm called the Senior Curator of Musical Collections and Cultures. We're standing in front of one of the largest instruments in the collection, though you passed the, the giant tuba when you came in, yeah. monster tuba it's called sometimes, but this is really one of the largest instruments, and it's called a harpsichord. It looks something like a piano because it's got a keyboard, but it's different because it's got two keyboards. Two keyboards? Yeah, let me have a look. Wow. Just so is that like an organ? Those. I'm not very... Organs with... often have multiple you, yeah. keyboards like that. Yeah. Yes. And wow. the main difference mm. is in the action. So a piano has... Um, it's, it's strung, like the like harpsichord has strings. But the strings in, on a piano are struck by hammers. Mm. And on a harpsichord, they're plucked. How old is this instrument? It's, so this instrument was made in 1772, Wow. by somebody called Jacob Kirkman, who was probably the most prolific harpsichord maker in Britain. Kirkman. Jacob Kirkman. Mm. Would he have fashioned the wood as well as done the tuning of the instrument and the strings and the feather, the quills and everything? So the, the arrangement of workshops in those days is really interesting to talk about. Um, and he was probably one of those who most nearly approached mass production, though mass production was obviously came a little bit a little bit later and embedded with the with the industrial revolution but but here in his workshop he inherited a workshop from his master because they had a master apprentice mm-hmm. relationship and with that workshop he inherited all the stock in trade all the wood all the unfinished instruments that only needed finishing to sell and so on so he did really well out of inheriting this workshop and with the workshop, um, he was the foreman in the workshop when his master, who's called Hermann Tobel, died. And then he went on to marry Hermann Tobel's erstwhile wife in wow. the good guild <laughs> traditional way. Oh, it was good for both of them, actually, if you think about it, because the perpetuation of that business was really important as a livelihood, not just for the people who worked in the, in the shop themselves, yeah. but also for the families. Mm. So it was actually beneficial to both of them to keep that business going. Can we hear this harpsichord being played? Do you play, Mimi? I'm, yeah, I play a bit. I'm happy to demonstrate a couple of stops yes, for please, you. Please, yeah. Yes, please. This is an Allemande by Handel. Handel would have been very familiar with harpsichords like this. I love um, that during... you said I play a bit and then you're going to play some Handel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
well, we've been here for hours and I don't feel like I've done everything I wanted to do. Yeah, I agree. Me too. I think we've done only one-tenth. Yeah. It feels like a really small museum. Mm. And it's very rich. It's really rich. The collection good is very packed in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. I love this idea that you looked for a museum around you because yeah. that is not something I would ever do. I always think museums are far away and you have to travel and really make a, a day trip. Yeah. Uh, and so when we moved here, I didn't imagine there'd be a museum so close and a, a world-class museum like this mm. that's so... Rich. Rich, but really accessible, isn't it? I don't feel intimidated by it. When I come in, mm. it's very, come and touch this, come and look that. Exactly. Uh, you, you know, you can play with the, it's some of the instruments mm. and the diversity of the exhibition that they have in, the, in this yeah. museum. And I like the fact that it doesn't tell you everything straight away. Mm. It, it makes you work so mm. that you're not just sat back and taking yeah. it Yeah, makes you feel engaged with the thing that is exhibited. Thanks for listening to Meet Me at the Museum with me, Lalita Chakrabarti. And me, Sarah Shamma, at the Horniman Museum and Gardens in London. If you like this episode of the podcast, please rate, subscribe or tell a friend. And don't forget, you can show your love for museums with the National Art Pass. It gives you great benefits at hundreds of venues while raising money to support them. <laughs>